victims, the majority of whom deserved a vampiric kiss. That's what you talked about. Where was Lestat, the insatiable blood thief and soul smasher? Lestat. Well, actually, Lestat the Magnificent. Yeah, I like that. Lestat the Magnificent. And I am, when you get right down to it, magnificent. I mean, somebody has to say it. But let's go back to your song and dance over Memnock. We don't want this shattered remnant of a shaman, you said. We want our hero. Where's his classic Harley? Let him kickstart it and roar through the French Quarter streets and alleys. Well, cool, yeah. I like that image. Sure. I still have the motorcycle, and yeah, I adore frock coats and the boots, always. Want to know what I'm wearing now? I'm not going to tell you. Well, not until further on. But think it over, what I'm trying to say. I give you this metaphysical vision of creation and eternity here. The whole history, more or less, of Christianity and meditations galore on the cosmos big time. And what thanks do I get? What kind of a story is this? you asked. Mon Dieu, you make me miserable, you really do. I want my prose to envelop you. I'd drink your blood if I could and hook you into every memory inside me, every heartbreak, temporary triumph, petty defeat, mystic moment of surrender. And all right already, I'll dress for the occasion. Ah, I hate my vocabulary. Why is it that no matter how much I read, I end up sounding like an international gutter punk? Of course, one good reason for that is my obsession with producing a report to the mortal world that can be understood by just about anyone. I'm not, for all my cultural and artistic hunger, an elitist. Have you not guessed? Aye. That's why no amount of wealth and power can silence me for very long. Desperation is the source of the fount. What if all this is meaningless? What if high-gloss French furniture with ormolu and inlaid leather really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things? You can shudder with desperation in the rooms of a palace, as well as in a crash pad, not to mention a coffin. But forget the coffin, baby. I'm not what you'd call a coffin vampire anymore. But what was I saying? Ah, yeah. We're going to move on, but... Please, before we proceed... Let me whine about what was done to my mind by my confrontation with Memnock. Now pay attention. I was attacked by the divine and sacramental. People talk about the gift of faith. Well, I'm telling you it was more like a car crash. It did sheer violence to my psyche. Being a full-fledged vampire is a tough job once you've seen the streets of heaven and hell. And you guys should give me some metaphysical space. Now and then I get these little spells. I don't want to be evil anymore. Don't all respond at once. We want you to be the bad guy. You promised. Gotcha. But you must understand what I suffer. It's only fair. And I'm so good at being bad, of course, the old slogan. And who am I to deny my vocation as a Roman Catholic storyteller par excellence? I mean... The Vampire Chronicles are my invention. You know. And I am only not a monster when I am addressing you. I mean, 
That's why I tell you all this. Because I need you. I can't breathe without you. I'm helpless without you. And I'm back. Sigh, shudder, cackle, tap dance. And I'm almost ready to pick up the conventional frame of this audiobook. It's going to all add up, I swear to you, on the ghost of my dead father. There's technically, in my world, no such thing as a digression. All roads lead to me. But before we cut to the present time, let me have my little fantasy. I want to be a saint. I want to save souls by the millions. I want to do good everywhere. I want to have my life-size plaster statue in every church in the world. Me, six feet tall with glass blue eyes and long purple velvet robes, looking down with gently parted hands on the faithful who pray as they touch my foot. Lestat, cure my cancer. Find my glasses. Help my son get off drugs. Make my husband love me. In Mexico City, the young men come to the seminary doors clutching small statues of me in their hands, while mothers weep before me in the cathedral. Lestat, save my little one. Lestat, take away the pain. Lestat, I can walk, look. The statue is moving, I see tears. Drug dealers lay down their guns before me in Bogota, Colombia. Murderers fall to their knees, whispering my name. In New York, a gang of scientists announces to the whole world that, thanks to my specific intercession, they have managed to make an odorless, tasteless, harmless drug, which creates the total high of crack, cocaine, and heroin combined, and which is dirt cheap, totally available, and completely legal. The drug trade is forever destroyed. Senators and congressmen sob and embrace when they hear the news. My statue is immediately put into the National Cathedral. Hymns are written to me everywhere. Little duplicates of me stand on dressing tables, countertops, desks, computer stations, worldwide. Where are my remains? I don't have any. My entire body has become relics, scattered all over the world, bits and pieces of bone and hair put into little gold cases called reliquaries. Some fragments fitted into the hollowed-out backs of crosses, some in lockets that can be worn on chains around the neck. I can feel all these relics. I can slumber in the awareness of their influence. Lestat, help me to stop smoking. Lestat, is my gay son going to hell? Absolutely not. Lestat, I am dying. Lestat, nothing's going to bring my father back. Lestat, this pain will never end. Lestat, is there really a God? Yes. I answer everyone. Peace, the certainty of the sublime, the irresistible joy of faith, the cessation of all pain, the profound abolition of the meaninglessness. I am relevant. I am vastly and wondrously known. I am unavoidable. I have pierced the current of history. I am written about in the pages of the New York Times. And meantime, I'm in heaven with God. I am with the Lord in the light. God says, you should appear to people. It's the proper work of a great saint.
People down there expect this of you. And so I leave the light and drift slowly towards the green planet. And where do I go? Where do you think? Vatican City. I am in the Pope's bedroom. It's like a monk's cell, just a narrow bed, one straight-back chair, so simple. John Paul II, eighty-two years of age, is suffering. The pain in his bones too much for true sleep. The Parkinson's tremor too strong. The arthritis too widespread. The ravages of old age so mercilessly upon him. Slowly he opens his eyes. In English he salutes me. Saint Lestat, he says. Why have you come to me? Why not Padre Pio? Not a great response. But he means no slight. It's a perfectly understandable question. The Pope loves Padre Pio. He has canonized hundreds of saints. Probably he loved them all. But how he loved Padre Pio. As for me, I don't know if he loved me when he canonized me, because I haven't yet written the part of the story in which I get canonized. Back to the moment. The Pope groans in pain. I lay my healing hands upon him, and I banish his suffering. I'm happy. He looks like the old Votewa, the Pope who still went skiing until he was seventy-three. My visit has been worth it. I'll say hello for you to Padre Pio, I whisper. But the Pope is dozing. So much for my mystical import. I've put him to sleep. I go downstairs to the Sistine Chapel. It is empty and chilly, too. Alone, cut off from all the world and all things, I stand there. I want to lie on the floor face down in the manner of a priest at his ordination. I want to be a priest. I want to consecrate the host. I want this so badly that I ache for it. I don't want to do evil. But the fact is, my fantasy of St. Lestat is dissolving. I know it for what it is, and I can't sustain it. I know that I am no saint and never was or will be. I'm not even standing in the Sistine Chapel. I am far away from it, in a place of warmth, though just as lonely. I am a vampire. For over two hundred years I've loved it. I am filled with the blood of others to my very eyeballs. I am polluted with it. I am ritually impure. And there's only one kind of miracle I can work. We call it the dark trick, and I'm about to do it. And do you think all this guilt is about to stop me? Nada. Never. Menon. Forget about it. Get out of here. Not in a pig's eye. Please, give me a break. No way. I told you I'd come back, didn't I? I am irrepressible, unforgivable, unstoppable, shameless, thoughtless, hopeless, heartless, running rampant, the wild child, undaunted, unrepentant, unsaved. And baby, there's a story to tell. I hear hell's bells calling me. It's time to boogie. So, slam cut to Blackwood Farm, exterior, evening. A little country cemetery on the edge of a cypress swamp, with a dozen or more old cement graves, and one of these raised rectangular tombs black with soot from a recent fire, and the whole surrounded 
by a small iron fence and four immense oak trees, and the sky the perfect color of lilacs, and the heat of the summer sweet and caressing, and... You bet I've got on my black velvet frock coat, close up, tapered at the waist, brass buttons, and my motorcycle boots, and a brand new linen shirt loaded with lace at cuffs and throat. Pity the poor slob who snickers at me on account of that. And I've chucked my violet glasses, because who cares that my eyes attract attention? And my skin still dramatically tanned from my years ago suicide attempt in the raw sun of the Gobi Desert, and I'm thinking. Dark trick. Yes. Work the miracle. They need you. Up there in the big house, you brat prince. Stop brooding and mourning down here. Go to it. There's a delicate situation up there in the big house. And it is time to tell you what happened. And so I do. I paced, fresh from the grave, myself having just risen from my secret hiding place. And I mourned bitterly for another blood drinker who had perished in this very cemetery on the aforementioned blackened grave, in an immense fire, and of her own will, leaving us only last night, without the slightest warning. This was Merrick Mayfair, only three years among the undead, and I'd invited her here to Blackwood Farm to help me exorcise an evil spirit that had been haunting Queen Blackwood since childhood. Queen was very new to the blood, and had come to me for help with this ghost, which, far from leaving him at his transformation from mortal to vampire, had only grown stronger and meaner, and it actually caused the death of the mortal dearest to Quinn, his great-aunt, Queen, age of eighty-five, by causing the beautiful lady to fall. I had needed Merrick Mayfair to exorcise this evil spirit forever. Goblin was the name of this ghost, and as Merrick Mayfair had been both scholar and sorceress before she sought out the dark blood, I figured she would have the strength required to get rid of him. Well, she came, and she solved the riddle of Goblin, and, building a high altar of coal and wood which she set ablaze, she not only burnt the corpse of the evil one, but went into the flames with it. The spirit was gone, and so was Merrick Mayfair. Of course, I tried to snatch her back from the fire, but her soul had taken flight and no amount of my blood poured on her burnt remains could conceivably revive her. It did seem to me as I walked back and forth, kicking at the graveyard dust, that immortals who think they want the dark blood perish infinitely more easily.